The Journal presents the Good Information Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Good Information Podcast, a series where the Journal gets to grips with 15 major topics that our audience has told us are impacting their daily lives and focusing their minds on the future. I'm Susan Daly, Managing Editor of The Journal, where the Good Information Project has been giving readers the opportunity to engage directly with editors and journalists on these issues. With you, we've looked at their impact on Ireland and on our place in the wider EU. In this episode, we are asking, is it possible to build a sustainable public transport system? In the grip of a climate crisis, we know that public transport alternatives to overarching individual car use are important. But how do we achieve this? Is the urban-rural divide unsurmountable? We'll answer these questions and more, but here's what you had to say on the issue. Remember Transport 21? Big promises were made back then and still very little done so far. Absolutely ridiculous that Dart Metro hasn't even started yet. Heavy and light rail are key to any city's congestion issues, but I fear it's too late in most parts of the country. Cities are just too built up to be adding heavy rail links now. Any chance we can rip up the current plan and start again? How about no transport options? Donegal. No trains. Loch Swilly bus service ended in 2014. Local operators have piecemeal bus routes. Buncrana to Derry only. Letterkenny to Buncrana? No. Carndonagh to Buncrana? Once a day. Takes over an hour. And that's a car journey of 15 minutes. That's just for starters. It's too expensive. Cheaper to get in the car and drive to Dublin than get the train. That sums it up in a nutshell. Buses are too slow. Public transport should not be profitable. It should be a service with fast transport. We need park and ride options for places like La Hinch that get crowded regularly or at the very least more than two buses a day. I can't use public transport to travel to or from work as the times are not compatible. Also, if I want to go to Dublin, I can stay later than 4.30pm as the train stops continuing onward to my local station in the evening. So what's the wider view? We're joined by Good Information Project producer Carl Kinsler, who breaks down the sentiment around the introduction of a congestion charge to deter the use of cars in urban areas and incentivise the use of public transport. A poll conducted by Ireland Thinks on behalf of the Good Information Project found that Irish drivers are very unlikely to support the introduction of a congestion charge for driving through Irish cities. Congestion charges, a fee to drive into the city centre or certain zones within it, are aimed at reducing the volume of traffic in a city. London introduced a congestion charge in 2003, which now comes at a cost of £15 a day for someone who drives into the congestion zone between 7am and 10pm, except for on Christmas Day. Two-thirds of those who commute by car are opposed to the introduction of such a charge in Ireland. The idea is most popular among those who get to work or study via the DART, 71% of whom support the measure. Among other commuters, the idea divided opinion. 55% of those who walk support it, only narrowly more than half, although just 34% opposed it, leaving 11% who said they didn't know. Bikers, bus travellers and Lewis users were all narrowly more likely to support a charge than not, though train users were opposed to it by an order of 59% to 30%. Looked at through a regional lens, the measure struggles to gain a foothold. 
It is most popular among those in the Dublin region with 42% in favour, though 52% still oppose it. In Leinster, just 28% of people support it, while 63% are opposed. Pete Lunn, head of the Behavioural Research Unit at the Economic and Social Research Institute, told the journal that congestion charging is an effective policy from the point of view of reducing congestion. A report from the Department of Transport in March found positive results from congestion charges in cities like Milan and Stockholm and suggested that similar schemes be looked at in Dublin and in Cork. Lund told us, As a behavioural economist, one thing I can tell you is that people have a really strongly inbuilt bias against change. They find change threatening. To better understand attitudes towards public transport in Ireland, we also asked our participants to give their preferred pricing for public transport journeys in Ireland. Just over half, 51%, said that journeys under an hour should cost no more than €2, with one in six people saying that they should be free altogether. A further 31% put their preferred price at between €3 and €5. 12% of people said that a journey that takes less than an hour should cost between €6 and €10 somehow. And 4% said that it should cost more than a tenner, which, okay. For journeys over an hour, the median price went up. One in 10 people still believe that such journeys should be free of charge, while a further 11% opted for between 1 and 2 euro. Respondents overwhelmingly believe that journeys over an hour, which allows for a fairly broad interpretation, should cost at least 3 euro. The median answer chosen by respondents was between 3 and 5 euro, which was selected by 31%. 20% believe such journeys should cost between 6 euro and a tenner, and over a quarter believe that long-haul public transport journeys should cost at least a tenner. If Ireland has intentions of incentivising public transport and disincentivising private car use, it seems that price changes or congestion charges will have to be accompanied by major attitudinal changes. Thanks, Carl. Now let's get to the key questions. I'm joined by the journal reporter Lauren Boland to hear about some of the possible solutions to our public transport woes. Welcome, Lauren. Tell me this. How can we, to start at the beginning, get more people to actually see public transport as appealing to them? It's a really big question. I think that's what I was talking to with experts when we were working on this cycle, with lots of the academics and the campaigners who are passionate about public transport and who are very well versed in in what works and what doesn't work. And I think what I took away from those conversations was that there's there's no one catch-all solution. It's all these different components that make up the pieces of the puzzle. Um, I think you, you can put them under sort of a few umbrellas, I think. And maybe the first one that's important to mention is cost. Before anything else, it has to be affordable for people. If people can't afford to get on the public transport, that's an immediate barrier. I think we have seen some progress recently. There's been some reductions in fares in the last few months for buses and for trains that have reduced the cost of journeys there for some people, especially some targeted measures for young people and for students. So that's a really positive measure. Um, But then what you have to build on there is that cost isn't the only thing. So it's really important that it's affordable for people. But then you have to make it a service that people want to use and that it's what they want to spend their money on and to incentivize them to use it over, say, putting their money into driving a private car. Um, So even if you think about a country, say Luxembourg, I was actually in Luxembourg a few months ago and over there the public transport is completely free, um, which is brilliant not having to be charged. It's also brilliant the convenience of it, not having to kind of think about what fare you need to pay 
pay or what ticket you need to get. Um, and I think it's it's all those little things of how you can make it easy for people. Um, so the point there is, I suppose, it has to be affordable for people. You also have to have that quality in place. So we can't just make it, even if we made it free overnight, say, the benefit of that is, is it can only go so far if people aren't seeing it as the most viable option for them. So that's where it feeds into everything around making it local and making it frequent. So making sure that people are able to use it to get where they want to go, when they want to be there, making making it accessible for people with disabilities, people who are wheelchair users, um, so that everyone can use it, making it safe, making it clean, overall just making it a positive experience for people that incentivizes them to want to use it and that it's a feasible option in terms of getting them where they need to be, when they need to be there. And that sounds like a public transport utopia. It sounds like a public transport system I would want to use. Sounds appealing. But on the flip side of that frequency, affordability, how do you make that sustainable? Yeah, it's a really big question because the transport sector, as it is now, it's a big contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. Um, And obviously everything now feeds into the climate and you have to think about things from that climate perspective of how we can make things sustainable. So there's a few different steps, I guess, to that with public transport. So the first thing in the first case is can we reduce the number of journeys that people have to take to begin with? So obviously over the last couple of years with working from home, um, there's been a massive increase in people not needing to make that daily commute. Um, So putting, I suppose, measures like that in place that reduce the number of journeys that people have to take or reduce the distance that people need to travel to get somewhere, that's an immediate benefit for reducing emissions from the transport sector. Then where journeys do have to be made, if it's a journey that you can do by walking or by cycling, it's about putting the infrastructure in place so that people are able to use those options. Because right now our our footpaths and our, our cycle lanes in Ireland, they're just not really up to scratch, you know, especially in rural areas, but even in the cities often as well, they're just kind of not up to the standard of, of where we need them to be to make walking and cycling feasible for people. Because that is the most sustainable mode of transport. Because uh, obviously there's there's no emissions from walking or from getting up on your bike. Um, then where the journey does need a vehicle, it's about getting the buses, getting the trains, getting the, the light rail um, and getting those options in place for people in, in and with all of those kind of qualities that we were talking about, about being safe, you know, frequent, local, all of those good things. And then where public transport isn't available in areas, obviously we should be trying to make it available everywhere it can, but where it's not, then it's about looking at if people are driving cars, how we can approach those in the most sustainable way possible. And often that's putting in electric vehicles and maybe making those more cost effective for people to incentivize them to use them. Lauren, as you mentioned there, the, the rural-urban divide really on public transport. And often when we talk about public transport, we're very focused on how we're getting around cities. But Ireland has traditionally had populations in rural areas that diminished slightly. But how come we have become so bad at having access to public transport in those areas where people, they can't really cycle or walk if they do have to make a journey to a facility, to an educational institution to work. 
Mm-hmm. It's really difficult. I mean, even in the cities, it's still not perfect. But especially once you go outside of Dublin um, or outside of Cork or Galway, um, it's 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 very challenging to, to access that public transport or, as you say, to, to walk or to cycle somewhere. Um, and part of that is just because of the nature of being in a rural area where it is a dispersed population um, and it's harder to, to put in a bus link or to put in a train link that's going to kind of catch a large number of people. Um, but then there's also sort of a, a historical perspective on it where some of the public transport infrastructure that we used to have in Ireland we don't have anymore because it was removed as private cars increased in popularity um, you had say in particular the rail network a lot of train lines that we used to have we don't have anymore because they were taken out I think Donegal is the infamous example of that where there used to be really a, quite excellent train links in Donegal um, and those those have been completely removed you can't get to Donegal by train anymore um, which is is just kind of I suppose one example of, of the situation in rural areas where people are quite reliant on private cars, and um, so I think it's 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 partly the that sort of nature of the area when people are living further apart, it's difficult to kind of put those links in, but also that historical kind of um, process of of links that we used to have that just aren't there anymore. Um, I think it's we're we're getting a bit better. We're starting to kind of think more about public transport and how to get it to people in those areas but we're kind of we're still not there yet one expert I actually talked to described it to me as we need to to stop being in a situation where opening a new train station is a cause for celebration because you see anytime kind of there's something that happens in Ireland with public transport if it's like that a new train station or a new section of a cycleway or something you'll get government ministers going out and you know having a photo opportunity around it and it's it's a, a big fuss kind of made out of it when actually we need to get to a point where it's it's such a normal thing that our public transport is expanding that there's there's no cause to make a big fuss out of it because it's it's just an ordin- ordinary occurrence. And speaking of, I suppose, looking to what is being done better than we have been managing to do it, we could look at other European cities, for example. Is there anything we can learn from those cities that we know have prioritised public transport over, say, individual car journeys? Definitely. And I think it, it all comes back to that question of how can we provide smart, user-friendly public transport for people that they want to use and that they're able to use because it's local, because it's frequent, and um, because it's safe, accessible, all of those things. And if you're looking at how to do that by prioritising public transport over cars, um, there are the different places in Europe have tried out different ways of approaching that. So looking not too far away in London, there has been a congestion charge there for years. Um, and what that done is it, it tries to disincentivize people from driving into the centre of the city because they're charged a levy when they do. And I suppose what that does is it it, it, it discourages people from driving and, get, and gets people to move on to public transport. It also creates a pool of funding that you could then choose to use to invest into public transport instead. Um there are there's other European cities that have tried that as well. It's places like Milan in Italy or Stockholm in Sweden. And actually, there was a report by our Department of Transport here in Ireland back in in 2021, 
And it looked at the congestion charge and what it said was that there was very strong evidence that congestion charging delivers reductions in traffic volumes, improves air quality measures and reduces levels of CO2 from transport emissions. So that's that's one thing that places have tried out. Another is actually the idea of stopping building new roads altogether, which might seem a bit drastic at first, but it's something that Wales has tried out. So the Welsh government last year decided that it was going to pause any new projects that weren't already quite far down the pipeline. So things that were sort of in the early planning stages, they decided they were going to put them on pause and do a review from a climate perspective. So weighing up whether those road projects were aligned with, say, the country's climate targets for reducing emissions. So that's another way um, that, you know, another instance of, of somewhere in Europe kind of looking at how to prioritize public transport over kind of more infrastructure for private cars. And then I think another one other place to mention is just obviously Amsterdam, which I think is, you know, the, this kind of mecca of public transport when we think about it in Europe. Um, but it wasn't always like that. You know, right now Amsterdam is, is, is has excellent biking networks. It also has excellent bus and tram links. Um, but that was that was only in, in recent decades that those came in. So before that, um, there were a lot more cars in Amsterdam than there are now. It was a, a shift in government policy around the 80s that then brought Amsterdam to kind of be the, the public transport hub that it is now. And I think the lesson from that is that you have to be ambitious. You have to try and imagine what a place can be like if you put those public transport networks in, if you prioritize that over sort of private transport. Um, so I think I think we have to be ambitious and, and aspire towards that kind of better system. So ambition and investment and a way forward. Thanks so much, Lauren. We'll give the last word to Maria Delaney, who told our Open Newsroom webinar about progress in trying to increase access to public transport outside of cities. Some of the additional supports I asked the department of social protection, like what are the additional supports people can have? Um, for instance, if they don't have a bus stop near their house, um, they were saying there's a there's there is a local links program. So that's um a rural kind of bus link program that runs, it's not often very regular, but it might run once or twice a week along very rural areas. I know for me, there's one um in my nearest village. So that's around, I suppose, two kilometers walk away from me. That that event runs twice a week into Dunlow and kind of other locations around Donegal. So I suppose there is, but again, it's more about spontaneity or, or um, accessibility in that case. And there is um, a travel supplement and exceptional needs payment um, under the Supplementary Welfare Alliance. So that's for people with certain um, entitlements to social protection. But again, it's not something that is given to everyone. I think there's only over 200 people getting it. So it's not a very common payment um, there were other payments such as the um, mobility allowance and, and things like that that haven't have been gone for a number of years thank you for listening to this episode of the good information podcast today's episode was edited and produced by adrian carty with research by carl kinsler and additional journalism from the good information project team go to the journal.ie to find out more about the entire good information project and email us at goodinformation@thejournal.ie with your feedback and questions. If you want to hear more episodes in this series, find us at the Good Information Podcast on the Journal app or wherever you get your podcasts. The Good Information Project is co-funded by Journal Media and a grant program from the European Parliament.